This is Cinema Degeneration. I am the devil, and I am here to do the devil's work. I, I just can't take no pleasure in killing that. Just some things you gotta do. We all go a little mad sometimes. You wanna know what happens to an eyeball when it gets punctured? You just can't let them go? Go! Hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? <laughs> Please, God. This is God. The dead will walk here. I'm just gonna bash your brains. And your suffering will be legendary even in hell. <laughs> it's alive, it's alive, it's alive. They all flow down here. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Boy, you're On our show tonight, Howling Under the Full Moon, we will explore Charles Band's Empire Full Moon Entertainment. We've got trancers, sci-fi epics, and vampires all in one place. When you need a break from reality, let our host show you through the madhouse of killer bombs, psychopathic cookies, and maniacal puppets. Don't be a squid and join us in the fun. My name's Jack Death. I'm a trancer hunter from the 21st century. It's been seven years since I went down the line to old California. Life's been good. I thought I'd singe my last transfer, but nothing lasts forever. Jack! Vacation's over, Jack. Time to get off your butt and go back to work. Mr. Rabbit, listen to me. I need your help. I'm a special agent on a mission from the future. I know just how you feel. You're going to be expelled from the Green World community. Do you know what that means? Help me, please. I'm on a mission. Are you who I think you are? Stillwell. Alice B. Welcome to old California, Alice. I'm your husband, Jack Death. Oh my God, Jack, it is you. The only man I ever had sex with. Isn't that bad? Get the activists out on the streets. I want fresh blood. We did it, Jack. We scorched another one. I'd like to make love to you right now. Jack, you son of a bitch! Lena, don't jump to conclusions. You're the one doing all the jumping, Jack. Why does she keep butting in on us? Because I happen to be his wife. So am I. Ladies, please. Lena, she's my wife. Her consciousness is in another body. She's a transfer hunter, too. I've had to handle a lot being married to someone from the future, Jack, but two wives? You're in the way, Lena. I want Jack death to see his wife become a transfer. They've got Lena. You know the layout well enough to go in after her? Yeah, but it won't be easy. Can you hear me, Jack death? Can be some 
Trancers 2, starring Tim Thomerson of Near Dark, Helen Hunt from Next of Kin, Megan Ward of Crash and Burn, Richard Lynch of The Sword and the Sorcerer, and Jeffrey Combs from Reanimator. Trancers 2, the return of Jack Death. Jack, the 20th century must be getting to you. You have no idea. Alrighty, folks, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back once again to Cinema Degenerations Howling at the Full Moon, where we cover everything and anything under Charlie Band's Full Moon Empire. And we have a, we're, we're going with a big one tonight. We're going with a heavy hitter. We're going with Trancers 2 from 1991, our second uh, dive into the continuing adventures of Jack Death. Actually, third dive if you count. Uh, Transfers 1.5, The City of Lost Angels. And joining me as usual for this uh, ride down memory lane, I was going to say, you know, we're going to be traveling back down the line, but it's my buddy Dustin Hubbard. How are we doing? Fantastic. Fantastic. Glad to be back. And and I know you got to be happy because we're going, do going down the line with Jack Death once again. Oh, yeah. Any trip with Jack is good. Now, as you said off the air, before we get into diving into the movie, uh, we were talking a little bit off the air, and you said that uh, when you were younger, this was your favorite Transfers movie, but now that you're uh, a little older, that Transfers 3 is your favorite. Now, why do you think that you made that transition? To, what, what made this your favorite back in the day? Yeah, you know, there was a period where, you know, I was always obsessed with, with Full Moon, but there were certain titles that tended to not necessarily appeal to me as much. And it usually tended to be more sci-fi or fantasy related things. So that would include a lot of the transfers films, you know, like Dr. Mordred, Mandroid, that kind of stuff. Those titles didn't appeal to me as much as say like puppet masters or, you know, subspecies. But, um, so I you always were more of a horror fan back then oh, as opposed to a sci-fi fan. But I was always okay. I, I was always a Tim Thomerson fan though. And two is just kind of like the in a way, sort of the everything in the kitchen sink version of transfers to me. Because it literally brings back the entire existing cast from part one and puts them in a new story. Uh, and it's got a lot of the same bells and whistles. It just, it looks a little bit more modern and it has, has kind of a fun campy vibe to it almost that I don't think was intentional in the first one. And it feels more uh, on purpose with part two. So I always found that yeah. to be a bit more fun that the, the look and the tone of part two, but you know, like a lot of those aforementioned movies, you know, once I got older, can go back and look at a lot of these things with more, you know, aged, mature eyes. Um, I just think, you know, one and three are stronger films than two. They have stronger stories, uh, even if they don't make the effort to, you know, they don't have. I'd agree. I'd agree. Come back, you know. So, but um, I still think two's thoroughly entertaining i just i don't think that it's the best one anymore whereas i used to 
I, I, would, I would agree with you that two was probably my favorite back in the day, but that, that all ended uh, when part three came out. Part three always is and always will be my favorite. It's just, there's something about it. There's something about Jack Death being a little bit down and out. And this movie, you know, as we were talking about it off the air, you know, Jack's riding high on the hog. He's doing all right. He's got an all right life. He's, as you put it, he's living with a lot of love in his life. He's he's living yeah. on high and things. Yeah. In part three, he's his life is on the skids, and I kind of like seeing Jack on the skids and kind of fighting that dark and dreary kind of <laughs> cloud that's hanging over his life. So yeah, three is always yeah, been my favorite. He's way more upbeat feeling, and I don't know, just campier feeling. And two, he has you know random one-liners he'll zing after he singes a trancer and stuff. You know, he wears a lot of sweaters. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that sweater was really weird. That was a really heavy-knit sweater. Yeah, a lot of this this sweater stuff and the, you know, uh, but he's just, he's he's very comfortable feeling. You know, yeah. and like I said, yeah, like like you said, you know, he feels like he has the most love in his life, and I don't just mean the the ladies. And that he's in a good spot. You know, like we said, he's kind of living to assist and watch over uh, Hap Ashby. So that entails being at a Hap's mansion. (laughs) And, you know, that kind of that kind of setup. And he's got a a great marriage with Lena. You know, he's got this great woman. And, you know, they're looking to the future. No pun intended, you know. And it just seems Uh, like everything on point. Whereas beforehand... It really wasn't, and afterwards, it's all kind of going down the tubes. But those, I think, are again maybe things that make the other films stronger to me. Is is I don't think that Jack Death is a character that's supposed to feel comfortable and like he's living high off the hog. He's a character that has to exist on the on the fringe. Yeah, he and, he has to live his life where he's things are kind of on the skids for him. Yeah, so that's that's why I think he's probably a stronger character in one and three because he's he's got a lot more going on, you know, in his life. He's not he doesn't have to deal with two gorgeous women fighting over his affection. Yeah, <laughs> you know? poor, poor man. As we've said before in the show, you know, Jack Death is a stud. You know, he drives a bitch and. Corvette. He's got the women hanging on every arm, and you know, such is the the life of a, a singeing time traveling uh, transfer hunter. You know, totally. <laughs> well, let's get right off into Transfers Two: The Return of Jack Death, uh, coming six, almost seven years after the original. Mm-hmm. And we'll go ahead and give the folks at home the quick IMDb synopsis, which is as follows. All right, Transfers Two from 1991. Six years after a time, Cop returns home from battling future alien zombies. <laughs> His settled life is turned upside down when a mad scientist creates more. And that, that feels very vague <laughs> and very off, like futuristic alien zombies. Like, uh... <laughs> yeah, whoever wrote that, I don't think really saw the movie. I think they saw a trailer for the movie, to be quite honest. But this would bring back a lot of people. It would bring back uh, Tim Thomerson, of course, as Jack Death, because there is only one Jack Death. It had Helen Hunt from as Lena Death, uh, Biff Maynard as Hap Ashby, you know, Allison Croft as the young McNulty, Tom Hopkins as Commander Reigns, and, 
And Art Lafleur, you know, who just passed away here recently, is old McNulty. So we got a lot of a lot of good people in it, and a, a great supporting cast as well. And uh, the appearance, and we'll talk about that now. The appearance of Sonny Carl Davies as uh, as Rabbit, the first appearance of Rabbit. Yep, the first <laughs> epic appearance of, <laughs> of Rabbit. One of one of the <laughs> most uh, prolific universe characters. Right. Right. <laughs> And it, 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 we'll get to it. You know, he had, he meets a weird kind of end in this movies, but uh, he would come back for uh, several, quite quite a few more movies. He does. He, he currently, I believe, just wrapped his tenth appearance on film as Rabbit. So, yeah, I don't think I don't think there's probably been any other character that's been portrayed more often, <laughs> at least by one singular actor in any full moon movie. Yep. But uh, yeah, there's a, this movie, the first no. What I have is this is star fucking studded. We got Megan Ward as Alice Jack Death's uh, long thought dead uh, wife, but you find out that she had traveled up the line uh, for her own mission. Martine Beswick, I mean, you know, God, if you don't know who she is, she was a Bond girl. She was in uh, from Russia with Love and Thunderball. You got Sonny Carl Davies again. We got Richard Lynch as the new Whistler, Dr. Wardo. Jeffrey Combs is Dr. Pyle, who is sadly underutilized here. I think that's one of my biggest problems, you know, with this movie. Or not my, I don't have a lot of problems with this movie, but I just feel like Jeffrey Combs is underutilized and underused, but it's still good seeing him. Uh, Barbara Crampton, you know, in her, her one scene, Sadie Brady, I mean, everybody. Yeah. I'll say I think Martine, Jeffrey, and uh, Barbara are all three very terminally wasted so like i think out of the three martine is probably the one that is utilized the best out of those three as as trotter but she's still very much underutilized it's just like when you have somebody like that i think that this movie is troubled just slightly by having almost too big of a cast and there's almost like it's one of the longer transfers movies i think at an hour and 28 minutes I don't know if it's the longest one, but it's one of the longer ones. But uh, longer. But I love how it starts with uh, oh Art Lafleur and McNulty's questionable wardrobe choices. <laughs> <laughs> as, as we talked about, I, I recall us talking about uh, Art's questionable wardrobe in the first movie, and now that he's back for part two, his, his uh, wardrobe is no more less questionable. <laughs> it's just it's just odd. It's just odd choices for a man like that. <laughs> he's very snazzy. Yeah, oh yeah, he's a he's quite a snazzy dr- dr- dresser. It just feels very odd for the McNulty characters, the curmudgeonly old guy that he is. And I think at one point, you know, when he travels up the line, and, and uh, Allison Croft, who plays the 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 younger McNulty up the line or down the line, actually, I, I get mixed up when I say up the line and down the line. Mm-hmm. But you know, we'll just say the past McNulty when he get, comes into the play here. He, you know, is for those of you who don't know when the somebody has to travel up and down the line they can only do it by transferring their mind into or out of uh people that are related to them so they can you know transfer that dna into their minds into somebody with similar dna and Alison croft is a much better actress this time around 
I feel like yeah. I, I know I had some not so nice things to say about her acting in the first movie, <laughs> but I feel like she is one of the the highlights of this movie in this time around. She's definitely a very strong presence in it, even though she's not in it a lot. But I, I think younger McNulty is actually really funny in this movie. <laughs> oh, I, yeah, she's really funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I, I love everything about McNulty, but whether it's Art or Allison playing the character. McNulty is a hard ass, but like he no, they never really do anything right. I mean, when... Um, Young McNulty shows up. She falls off her bike. She shows them the 10-second watch. She fucks it up and drops the, uh, oh, what the hell is it called? She, uh, the time displacement unit, you know, when she drops it. And she's like, well, this is where it's going to show up here in oh, yeah, the, 48 the TCL, hours. The TCL chamber. <laughs> That's it. Yes, the TCL chamber. Because they send Art up, you know, not Art, but they send McNulty up the line, you know, with, uh, Tom Hopkins is in in this briefly but then again she's never really in any of these movies very long in part one two or three she's always briefly used which is another thing that i, I feel is uh is just uh is a slight to this movie of not using her enough i'll say this you'll notice that with her character though and i want to say that in each successive film that her job title actually becomes more important I, I can't remember the exact job titles, but she's a commander in this one. And I want to say come the next one, she's actually a, uh, a higher ranking than that even. Yeah, she's higher ranking. I think she ends up, doesn't she end up becoming, by the end, uh, by the end of the third one, she's a... She's a council member by the yeah, end of the Yeah, I was going to say, she, yeah, she becomes a council member. Her and what's, what's uh, Alice are both council members yeah. by the end of the I want to say. And it's funny, I just watched the newest, uh, just to go off on a side tangent here, I just saw her in the newest uh, Matrix movie, which uh, the Transfers movie, much better than the Matrix. But uh, when I saw Tom Hopkins pop up, and I'm like, I had to do it like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and my wife was like, what are you, you know, grunting about? I'm like, that's that's brains. She's like, yeah. So I had to go off on a 20 minute tangent telling her who Tama Hopkins was and why yeah, she was so important. <laughs> I, did not, I did not know she was in the new uh, Matrix movie, but I can say that I remember being fairly excited a handful of months back when she ended up doing a uh, short stint on guest starring stint on The Young and the Restless. <laughs> so nice. Which, which it's I always good. Seeing her in something. Funny, yeah, it was additionally funny because that show actually, um, Brighton James, who played Little Richie, has been a, a regular cast member on Young and the Restless for almost 20 years. So nice, nice. Toma came on the show. So, and at one point, even uh, Eddie Winslow, Darius McCrary had been on Young and the Restless ah. back to when, um, uh, oh gosh, what's his name? Shamar Moore had been on there, and he left the show, and then they brought his character back, and he was recast with Darius McCrary. <laughs> so, uh, Telma Hopkins, she she just lends an air of credibility to whatever she does. Like, it's funny. I go to I, I, see, I see a movie like The New Matrix, and the only thing I take away from it is just like, ah, good movie. Telma Hopkins always, was in it. <laughs> she was a very fun, classy presence. I've always thought. Yes. That, Tomah Hopkins had a very classy present. Right, right, exactly. Oh, but well, anyway, she she tells she lets um, McNulty know that there is a quote unquote new whistler. 
out that and he is big trouble and, and they do kind of a neat little recap with things without having to without having to go the normal full moon route and, and do it in flashback mode but they actually just kind of huh no stock footage yeah no stock footage no stock flashback footage when did whistler get a brother <laughs> yeah there's no mention of a brother whatsoever but like I, I I I think the using Richard Lynch as Doctor Wardo as uh, AKA you know the new Whistler was a great addition because I, I cannot recall at the top of my head the name of the actor who played Whistler in the first movie. But Richard Lynch is a consummate performer. You know he he just oozes fucking just just that villainous <laughs> I would say oozes villainous secretions which sounds a lot dirtier than I'm intending it to sound but I'm going with it anyway. I was gonna say we can just say he oozes villainy. Villainy. There you go. <laughs> which still sounds a little bit dirtier than than we probably are intending folks, but you know hell we're going with it. Sounds less slimy. <laughs> yeah. But he's great in the movie. Richard Lynch, you know, we don't really get a lot of him in the first half hour of the movie. But he the thing about him, he he plays it off well as like half skeezy and half very sleek and sophisticated. You know, when he's at the uh, uh, oh at the uh, the Green World base and he's just on every television set, just talking into the to you know talking into the camera and, and talking to everybody. That. It's very hypnotic. Yeah, he's got supposed to have that like hypnotic Hitler type of personality where it's like you know hitler was an evil man but it's like when he talked he projected and he he had a presence and addiction that just kind of it grabbed you and you needed to listen you know yeah which like the brainwash so many people so right, exactly because <laughs> the, they knew how to talk they knew how to like the talk yeah. and tell people what they wanted to hear maybe not what they wanted to hear but what they wanted them yep. to want and to hear was supposed to have that kind of magnetism as well, where he's just like, he's going to brainwash you and then he's going to, you know, feed you some scurb 78 and make you a transfer. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty much, you know, like, uh, I mean, like Richard Lynch, I mean, uh, as Wardo is, uh, he is kind of like a Hitler type or a Stalin type, you know, he, he totally. you know, he's feed you some, yeah, yeah. Good villain. Good villain. Building an army of green. Yeah, he made a <laughs> greedy weenies <laughs> <laughs> oh rabbit oh we hardly knew you <laughs> i have to say it like him i call them greeny weenies <laughs> yeah we gotta get we gotta get sunny on the show one day we gotta at least when we get to maybe another uh episode on uh, evil bong we gotta we gotta put a word out to him to see if we can get him to come on the show because i have a feeling he'd be a great great time I'm, I'm sure he would be there. I'm, there's a reason why Full Moon always keeps asking him back for stuff. So. Oh, you know, and somebody else I like that is really that didn't play a lot in, in uh, a lot of uh, Full Moon stuff. Biff Maynard is Hap Ashby. He's great. He is so over the top. One of the most memorable, you know, movie drunks, you know, yep. <laughs> that I, wow. I think that ever been played. I think that was because it was a very method. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. From what I understand, it was. But he's doing very well. He's doing, Hap is doing well for himself. He, he's working in the stock market. He has a great big mansion. And 
he is collecting fire trucks, which seems to be an odd hobby for a guy that was a, a drunk ex-baseball player. Very odd thing to collect, but if you're rich, so be it. <laughs> right. But I love the idea of like how they bring Jack back into things. Like Jack knows transfers are around the corner. Like he says he can just smell it in the air. He's because as we've said before, Jack Death is just a stud, man. He he he's the man. He knows what's going on going on. And you know, they everybody's trying to convince him from Hap to Lena that like listen, it's been six, what, seven years since the last attack. There's no more transfers, but Jack knows better and they actually do, you know, um, the gardener shows up. I remember the first time I watched this, I'm like, that guy's a transfer. Like, you just know in these movies when certain characters show up, they're going to be transfers. And, of course, he is. I feel like they spoiled him being the gar- the a transfer in the trailer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <the> trailer. <laughs> but what I want to know is when Jack shows up and blows away the gardener and his two, uh, the two other transfers, where did the two other transfers come from? I know later on they discuss when he goes to the, you know, the the, the landscaping business. He says, yeah, you know, him and two, two other guys thumped my dude in the head and took off with the truck. But they don't show the other two. The, the other two just appear. I want to say happy when asked them. They're like, oh, it's just you today? He was like, yeah. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> I don't need no stinking helpers. And then and all of a sudden there's just two of them there and but you know jack makes pretty quick work of them and i gotta say you know you know we're here because we love full moon and we love charlie band's work but this is probably one of the best directing jobs that uh band had had done it's very slick it's much more polished than the first transfers movie was i think it's a i think one of the things that appealed to me as a kid was that it feels big. It has a look and a feel of it being a bigger film than what the first one did to me as a kid. So I think that was one of the, another thing that grabbed me about it. And it is actually, I think, one of Band's more uh, quality directing jobs on part two. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. Yeah, Jack takes care of a couple of transfers, and then young McNulty shows up. Allison Croft shows up. Of course, just as Jack even says, McNulty, as usual, always showing up when the action's already over. And then uh, McNulty uh, stupidly activates the the tap back switch. Yep. And uh, I, I just think it's funny because young McNulty just continuously kind of fucks things up. But she had such a great comic relief. I'm not mad at her for it. Yeah. What I love is is she accidentally trips the tap back switch, but then they're like, oh, we're going to have to try and find a way to hide it. And Hap's like, we can get a catering tent. <laughs> yeah. Like, why, well, why, how and why would you have access to a catering tent, dude? <laughs> they stole it from craft services is what they did <laughs> yeah. i mean back then they could afford a craft services tent i guess so oh but not too long after that we get the introduction of rabbit for the first time and there would not be another appearance of rabbit until well this is 1991 wouldn't the next appearance of rabbit be 2006 in the uh the first uh evil bong movie but he was Correct. just known, you know, he would now he wouldn't be called Rabbit in the first Evil Bong. He wouldn't be called Rabbit until part two. But he was, he was just a delivery guy, I believe, or delivery dude, something like that. Yeah. 
but he's rabbit. We all know that by the end. And now that they're filming, you know, Evil Long Part Eight, he is wearing a name tag in it, though. I want to say that actually says Rabbit written on it. So he is rabbit. They just don't bill him as such. Um, and I think at the time it was meant as just being one of those sort of like, you know, because I've, I've said this before and we'll say it again now. Evil Bong 1 is like the penultimate like full universe movie, you know? Like, oh, yeah. And, stuff. And, and I think that that was just one of like, you know, 10 plus character jokes in that movie was to just kind of stick him in because he's only in for like two minutes and then gone but then they had the you know foresight to be like hmm, maybe we should bring him back in a in a central role in part two and you know a cycle was born so well, hell, it would be the closest we'd get to a, a another another transfers movie because it is the only other appearance of jack death in, yeah, in many lot- many years Jack death on camera so yeah because we don't count part six here we not none of us count part six part six so we 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 often said that when this show is over if there's only transfers six left to do and we've all caught up with everything then we will cover transfer six but not until that day like part six is like fake Jack death to me though I know it's supposed to be him but it's it's fake Jack death to me so, oh, same, same. Yeah, that his last real appearance was any long one. So, yeah. I still, six hashtag not my Jack Death. Yeah, I still want to see the spinoff movie where Jack Death actually goes to Bong World. How yeah, did, I want to know how he got in Bong World. Was he like, yeah? How did like, and why did Jack Death take a hit off EB? Maybe he really hit rock bottom. Him, like him, and uh. You know, old Hap Ashby were hitting the bottle, and the bottle wasn't enough, so we started hitting the bong. That's all I can figure out. They did Jack Death know Jimbo Leary? <laughs> See now, you know, I would think they would. I would think they would know each other. <laughs> oh, you never know. But this is this is where we get the first appearance. Now we heard a lot about her in the first movie. Um, you know, of Megan Ward as Alice, Alice Stillwell, you know, Jack Death's, uh, I wouldn't say former wife and not ex-wife, but she had been killed in a transfer uh, mission. But now you find out that she had been sent up the line or down the line. I keep getting it mixed up. We'll just say, mm-hmm. we'll just say up the line. And she is now, unfortunately, because her uh, descendant was uh, a mental patient, that's where she ended up getting stuck. So she never got to trip the the tap back switch and she's been stuck here in 1991 for you know in the the not the future but the the past Mm. for quite a long time and this is where we get like several people big time and we get martine beswick is as trotter as nurse trotter we get jeffrey combs as dr pyle and again doc Dr. Wardo, Mr. David Lynch, or David Lynch, <laughs> Richard Lynch. Yeah, it would have been really weird if David Lynch had been in this role, but that probably would. That'd be a really weird. It probably would have worked. David Lynch did a full moon movie. <laughs> but it would have worked. As far as I'm it concerned, it would have worked. It would. But uh, I think it's funny that the tap back signals get crossed because Alice gets her watch back and she t- trips the the switch. At the same time that the the other group has tripped their switch, so the the TCL chamber ends up at, at the barn there on the Green World compound, and 
our boys and girls at the uh, at Hat Bashby's uh, mansion. They just get a door. That's you get the door. Get. And, and let's and let's be specific. Alice gets her watch because Rabbit is off in his earliest cinematic attempt trying to grab it for the first time. Yep. Because <laughs> he's trying to get trying to get some business with uh, one of the other nurses there who's named Pearl. <laughs> and I didn't get it. Like, she took one sip of that drink that was like orange soda and vodka, and she was already drunk? Well, I- Alex sneaks in and she drugs those cups, remember? She puts, like, some kind of... Oh, that's right. That's drug- right. But it must have been a potent pill, though, because <laughs> even still, she only took, like, you know, so so many drinks out of it. So and it totally like knocks her out. So, yeah, but you know what I I've noticed about this movie, it's, it's something that made me remember something about the late eighties, early nineties. So many mullets, so many mullets. Even Jack Death damn near has a mullet with the length of his hair in the back. You know, party mm-hmm. in the front or you know, uh, business in the front, party in the rear, but. So many mullets back then. Everybody, every extra thug in this movie has a fucking rock and mullet. Yep. And that <laughs> was in the nineties. <laughs> exactly. But then this is what we get when we were our great one-liners. We get some transfer Sinjin where he shows up at the uh the landscaping business. We get a l- little bit of action where uh they use the the, the time uh displacement, not the time displacement, the uh 10 second watch. And Jack uses it when he almost gets uh, skewered by a, a <laughs> I don't know how they did this stunt because it looked really dangerous. And when they pin him up against mm-hmm. the wall with the with the forklift, I want him to say they must have used like some reverse photography for that somehow, because that, that just looked dangerous. I'll point out there are two moments stunt wise that feel very dangerous in this movie. One is that because I can't imagine wanting to be the actor who having a forklift driven right into you <laughs> right and and two uh later on i'm jumping forward a bit but the moment when wardo is checking his plants and he sees that there's a big portion of them that are turning brown and dying and he starts oh. what happened to them and he grabs those potted plants and he tosses them right at jeffrey combs's head in shot and they yeah. almost and they almost clock him right in the head and they well, smash it- Literally just to the side of his head. Yeah, and <laughs> like, sending pottery and, and, and shit flying in every direction all over yeah. Jeffrey Combs. He could have been easily, like, heavily injured by that. It's figured. <laughs> like, like, yep, I lost my left eye because David Lynch doesn't know how to throw a pot. He got disfigured by the disfigured. So, yeah. Uh, But, yeah, the attack... Yeah, are very kind of hard to believe. Maybe like, additional... Yeah make this movie feel bigger than it probably is so yeah the, the stunt work in, in this is really pretty good i mean uh it just seems a little strange to me that they would take the chances like that with their actors and not have stunt people doing those parts mm-hmm. at least but you know it's a full moon movie so they they do what they can but at yeah. the when they have the attack when uh Jack is looking, you know, for for answers about the the transfers that showed up from this uh, landscaping business, and he cinches the transfers, and he's get one of those great one liners that I know you must love as much as I do because don't worry, ladies, they're biodegradable. 
<laughs> and remember, who are those ladies? Oh, one of them was uh, that was I, I, was was Charlie was, Band's ex mother in law, wasn't it? Was Mother Band and Deborah Dion's mother? Yeah, Charlie's then wife, Deborah Dion's mother. Yeah. And we might jump ahead, but now that I'm thinking about it, before I forget about it, uh, when we get to the uh, when Hap is having his drunken baseball, and then Jack, you know, is trying to find Hap, and that he infiltrates the way because the way that the, the these green world people are getting their transfers is they're taking homeless people and vagabonds off the street. I know Albert Band and. Uh, I forgot his name, but Helen Hunt's father. Helen Hunt's just, father, yep. Yeah, I think his name might have been Chuck or something like that. But uh, Al- Albert Band and Helen Hunt's father were the two homeless people asking for mustard and chili on their cold hot dogs. <laughs> yep. A lot of, lot of family members uh, in, in the movie, actually. Yeah, Gordon Hunt. Gordon, Gordon Hunt. Hunt, that's it, yes. I know. I know. Richard Lynch's late son was also in the movie as Wardo's cameraman. Oh, really? See that yeah. I did not know. I... And Tim's brother and father have cameos during the the ball playing scene. Oh, as a couple of the hobos playing baseball and getting yep. drunk with Hap. Yeah. Oh, well, so yeah, yeah, that is very much a family affair. This movie. Yeah, a lot of big. Yeah, very. Yeah, one big family. <laughs> so. <laughs> But another uh, interesting casting bit, and this is Don Dow. Uh, we were, as we were talking about off the air earlier, was as as one of the orderlies would come back as a transfer playing a different character named Stevens in Transfers Three. And I reckon I didn't recognize him, and all the times that I watched these movies, didn't put the two and two together that that was the same actor until this time around. But yeah. that was neat. That was interesting. Yeah, I was always, always a fan of Don Don Dow. He's very. Uh... Very, very memorable face. <laughs> yeah, very intense, intense way of delivering always, his lines. Always played like, you know, yeah, kind of like a, a heavy in everything he's in. Like, because orderly here, obviously, he was definitely a heavy in Francis 3. I always loved him in my personal favorite Fred Owen Ray film, uh, Evil Tunes. Where he played one of the girls' jock boyfriend. Was that Evil Tunes 1 or 2? Because I I get Uh, those two mixed up. Well, Evil Tunes, uh, just there was only the one. Uh, Probably getting it mixed up with something else. Evil Tunes with uh, Dick Miller. Oh, maybe maybe I'm thinking of a different Evil Tunes, maybe, because I thought there was a couple different Evil Tunes movies. Monique Gabrielle. Yeah, he's the. uh, He's one of the the boyfriends. Yeah, he's supposed to be the jock boyfriend, and they're supposed to be like you know college girls, but he looks like he's like forty. Yeah, he looks like he's like forty-two and what built kind of like John Belushi. Yeah, with his receding hairline. No offense, John <laughs> Dow, but like, yeah. So that's uh, okay. I got and, a receding you know, hairline as well. 
all, man. Don't be all. <laughs> and, and, you know, he even sported that same receding hairline as uh, the android in uh, Virgin Hunters. So he worked for Full Moon a few times in the in the 90s. Nice, nice. You know what else worked for Full Moon a couple of times? That damn Corvette. <laughs> that 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 red Corvette. Ah, uh, mm, gotta love that car. Like yeah. th- that's why so, Jack was so happy for those first couple of movies. <laughs> he had that nice Corvette. He had Helen Hunt hanging on his arm. I mean, you know, he was doing all right for a guy from the future. You know, you love the moment when he's like, "Tell him not to touch the car. It's wired to wired to blow." <laughs> yeah, and I, I love it when she says to him, "Is it really?" And he's like, "No, but they'll keep their slimy fucking hands off of it if I tell <laughs> him that." <laughs> I mean, if it was your car, you'd lie and say that, too. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would, too. Uh, I, 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 I'm getting to the point here where uh, Rabbit is talking to Alice, because Alice is continuously trying to convince Rabbit to let her out of the place. Because She's like, I'm not crazy. I was sent from the future to, to stop, you know, the Dr. Wardo <laughs> from, from, like, and about it. I inhabited this body and I got stuck here. I'm not really crazy. And he's just like, yeah, I'm not really crazy either. He's like, and this is my favorite line. And it's made <laughs> by Jack death. But how many crazy people do you know making 63 or $63 a week? <laughs> yeah. Didn't he say to you when she says that, she says like, Oh, I've been sent back in time to do this, that and the other. And he's like, I know just how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you? <laughs> and he's like, you know why they What's the story he has about why he's called Rabbit? Is it because he used to hop out in front of cars or something like that? Yeah, he used to run in front of, like, car headlights or something, yeah. It's like, but that doesn't make me crazy. (sighs) That role was written specifically for him by uh, Jackson Barr. The screenwriter is good friends with Sonny Carl Davis, so he wrote that role specifically for him. So... Nice, nice. Yeah, it, it, it's a role he was born to play. Yep. So, I love when uh, Jack actually busts uh, Alice out of the uh, the little institution there, Green World, and he, you know he shows up and he's like, "Hey, I see you got one of the the nut, the, you know, one of the the crazies here." He's like, "I'm just gonna go." He blows everybody away, holds everybody up, dry, sticks her on that board into the front seat of his car that looks like she's mounted to a surfboard and just yeah, drives away. That. Yeah, she's like on that flat gurney board thing and he just shoves <laughs> it in the passenger seat and he drives off. And I feel like like that was very just kind of another, I guess, instance of a very dangerous stunt with her not being secure. Right. <laughs> and then he just drives off with her in the in the passenger seat. Well, you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, uh, Megan Ward was probably used to doing her own stunts after debuting in uh, uh, Crash and Burn just a couple of years previous because she was in a couple of Full Moon movies. But this would have been her second Full Moon film, if I'm right. Uh, second of release. Yeah. Yeah. I believe at the time she had already had Arcade in the can, but Arcade wouldn't surface until about two years later. So... Right, right, right. Yeah, because that had a, that's a lot of post-production issues. So, but yeah, it was technically her second full moon film to be released, which ironically, in this movie, you see a trailer for Crash and Burn on the TV. So, yeah. And I know that gets your go, because I know you don't like that. I know you don't like it when you see the ads for other movies within the movie world, but I, I for one, love that kind of thing. 
I can excuse it, but it's very weird. So, especially considering that it's like the other movie that she acted in. So, at the time. <laughs> I mean, at least, at yeah. least when Pud watched part of, you know, Robot Wars, you know, at least Troy Froman wasn't in Robot Wars. <laughs> so, yeah, it's kind of like when they show Puppet Master 2 in uh, Demonic Toys, nobody from either movie was, you know, was related to that movie, you know, so it wasn't too, wasn't too meta. But then the toys were fighting the puppets in a non-canon film later, so. Uh, oh, gosh, that's crazy. That's craziness. <laughs> oh, but bad, to, I would say bad timing for poor Jack when he gets her, when he gets Alice back to the Haps mansion Gives her Lena's clothes to wear. Like, oh, you sure she won't mind? And he's just like, no, no, it ain't no big deal. And he decides, or she decides to, I guess they used to say they decide to kiss each other. You know, because it is still his, I'm using air quotes here that you can't see, is, is his wife. But of course, what happens? Bad timing. The moment they kiss, fucking, you know, Lena walks in on them, and it's a, a tense moment where all he can think of saying is, ladies, please. You know, he, he's stuck between a rock and a hard place. For as much of a stud that Jack Death is, he doesn't know what to do with these two women. Because, and I, I mean, and, and who would? Lena, Lena, I want to say both times she walks in on him kissing her, she she says the same thing. Jack, you son of a bitch <laughs> really slowly you son of a bitch and then and at one point when she says you're a bigamist <laughs> <laughs> i know i love it but i love when the deli guy shows up is there no doubt in the world that that guy was a fucking transfer and because oh, he shows up with it like what deli guy delivers you know full range of groceries he's not a deli guy he's a grocery delivery dude and again bad timing with the booze because hap was here's a here's a problem i have continuity wise hap is supposed to be off the sauce am i correct he's supposed to be sober for the last six years he's supposed to be dry he has a bar in his house that already has booze on the counter booze behind (laughs) the bar jack made a whiskey sour for Alice and was drinking some uh, some bourbon himself. So there was already booze in the house. Why was he feeling the need to sneak in two extra bottles of booze? There was already booze in the house. <laughs> I guess uh, yeah, that... I'm not, I, yeah, no, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, continuity, schmontamuity. But of course, Deli Guy's a transfer, sends a bomb in what? A ham. <laughs> a ham. And we mm-hmm. get a, an- another great one-liner here that I'm sure you know by heart as much. Huh? That's my favorite one-liner of the whole movie. <laughs> I'll let you do it. What is it? <laughs> Next time someone hands me, an ex- hands me an exploding ham, I'll pass you the mustard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Some- Next time somebody hands you an exploding ham, I'm going to pass the mustard. <laughs> Great stuff. Oh, delivered in only the way Tim Thomerson can. I mean, there's, you know, like I said, turkey. <laughs> uh, what do we do if somebody hands hands you turkey? We're gonna pass the mayo? I don't know. That's that's a lost yeah. one liner there. That's asking with the mentality <laughs> of a fifteen year old girl, not <laughs> not a seasoned adult male. <laughs> like, 
Right, right. Now, I have to say, you know what bothers me? I wish they would call him McNulty and then, like, teenage McNulty or something. Like, why is that, like, regular just McNulty? And then they call Art LaFleur old McNulty in the credits. I don't know. It doesn't... Because doesn't Alison Croft's McNulty character have a name herself? I mean, like, shouldn't she be called Alison? Or her character does. They never actually say what her her real uh, period specific character's name is, though. Like how Jack is Phil. (laughs) Like, I don't think they ever really say in in all three of her appearances what her actual descendants, uh, her ancestor's name is. And my question is this. What that? Where the hell are her parents? <laughs> yeah, at one, point, at one point in one of the earlier films, I feel like she was billed as like Baby McNulty in like the very first one. So it seems weird how in the in this one she's like now the 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 dominant McNulty presence <laughs> instead of just like, very weird, just very weird. Uh, you know, whatever. Now I, I'm interested what you think about this. Uh, it's a question I have for you. Mm-hmm. Now when. Alice and Lena, both married to Jack, two different, very different, uh, you know, time periods, hundreds of years apart. I understand where Alice is coming from. Like, I understand why why she says and does what she does when she tells Lena, like, you need to go. You're just a distraction. You're no good to him. You're bad for him. You're going to keep him away from the mission and everything. But am I right that Al- the Alice character, at least as at least as far as I'm concerned, is kind of an asshole here, the way she treats Lena. Like, I understand where she's coming from, but it doesn't oh, yeah. make it right. Alice is a total... She's honestly, she comes off like a total territorial bitch. Yeah. So, yeah, but no, yeah. it's, yeah, okay. it's not a conception, in my opinion. She's a total, she's a total bitch in those moments. And she's I'm, very... I just wondered if it was just me. I was just had to make sure it wasn't just me. Yeah, no, and she's very impulsive, too, with Jack, where she's, you know, like, with, you know, I don't know, some of their intimate moments where she's just, like, she's in references things, like, you know, I don't know, she just seems very much like a loose cannon at points and very just off-the-cuff rude. (laughs) Yeah, like, and I I, I love... I I like her as a character, but she she has an edge to her. Well... I love the character. I, I love Megan Ward. She's a fine actress. But also a note that I have here is there was apparently no weapons training because nobody, and I mean nobody in reality handles a gun or aims a gun like Alice uh, Stillwell does. <laughs> nobody. She handles a gun like Steven Seagal does, like she's aiming from like above her head. <laughs> Maybe Steven Seagal was her daddy. You know, I don't know. She's like half looking through the the, the aim. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, half the time she's shooting. She's aiming at one thing, but looking in a different direction. I was just like, okay, how did you hit anything? I mean, like I know there's a part when Jack tells her, you know, great shooting, Alice, but no, no not really. <laughs> at least she's not supposed to be a master, you know, sniper who barely looks through the scope <laughs> and wears <laughs> hit lenses while she's doing her job. <laughs> Like Like somebody else we know. (laughs) Uh, This we get to the scene like where you were talking about when uh, Wardo was overlooking his uh, botanical gardens here 
and his plants are the key, but they're dying. And they, he says that, uh, was it um, Jeffrey Combs' character says one of the orderlies had messed up the filtration system or something like that, and they were dying, a, s- a section of them. That's when he throws the potted plants at Jeffrey Combs' head and almost beans him in the head. Yeah. But this is when they described that these plants make what's called, uh, I had to make a note here because I, otherwise I'd forgot it, Scurb 78, but it's like yeah. crack from 200 years in the future. Yeah, like, hmm. Crack? Yeah, yeah, weird. By Anthony Skurbinski. Yeah. Oh, gosh, this is great. And this is where Biff, well, or uh, Biff Maynard is a little half Ashby. He goes back into his uh, his drunk mode, like from the first movie. You know, he, he just, you're all going to get me, man. I might as well go out with a bang, you know. And so he steals, <laughs> he commits the ultimate sin by stealing Jack's uh, Corvette. Goes uh-huh. and gets a butt, goes and dresses up in his old baseball pitching uniform and decides to go hang out with his old homeless buddies and play a bunch of drunken baseball. And it's great. I love the sequence when they're playing the drunken baseball and he keeps telling the one guy, to quit trying to lead off a second base, or he said he's like, I'm going to pick you off, and he, the guy just keeps wandering back and forth. It's a great little segment, but Biff plays a great comedic film drunk, and I'm not advocating alcoholism at all in that respect, but I'm just saying he's play, he plays a great, great movie drunk. Oh yeah, he's he's very he's a very fun presence on film, especially when. He just kind of pulls up in the car and just parks and gets out and starts like downing booze. And he's like, come on, who wants to play some fucking baseball? <laughs> and even they're looking at him. They're like, does he know there's no road there? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we get our one little cameo by uh, Barbara Crampton as the, 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 the TV interviewer, Sadie Brady. And it's a neat little cameo, but it's, it's done. It's, it's done so quickly. It's it, I, I feel like, you know, they had her for a day, which is, you know, it's fine. I, I'm always happy to see her. But I feel like, much like with Jeffrey Combs, she was just wasted in this role, you know. Uh, you don't even see her, on, like, in camera. She's literally, like, footage that appears on television. <laughs> so. Right, right. But she looks great. She does great. It, it's, it's a great scene, but it just, it, yeah, it just it, seems like a wasteful of her talents. It's funny because I'll, I'll touch on something we also mentioned like before the show. I, I had recently watched the Reanimator reunion edition on Full Moon streaming and has the sit down chat with Charlie and Barbara and Jeffrey. And he mentions the there's discussion of the evil clergyman because all three of them had worked on that. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned the transfers mini sequel and says, oh, but then we made a, a real sequel, you know, a few years later. And they both, Barbara and Jeffrey, were like, yeah, I th- yeah, I think I was in that. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, like, spotty memory of, like, yeah, I'm, yeah, I th- I, yeah, I'm pretty sure I worked on that. <laughs> like, I think, like, and probably looking at each other like, I was in that, right? Right? Yeah, I was Jeffrey had to have at least spent a couple days on set. So I would hope that he would remember. Barbara, I could maybe see not remembering because she literally has probably less than, like, two whole minutes of screen time so oh yeah it's a blink and you miss a cameo but it's a a very thankless like cameo so but i'll take it yeah i'll take it anytime you get to see uh barbara cramp on on camera or jeffrey combs on camera it's it's worth it 
Definitely. And in those early days of Full Moon, because I mean, earlier I even hit revisited uh, Pit and the Pendulum, which had, you know, another kind of like side henchman character in, you know, a group of side villains, <laughs> kind of right. like how he is in this one. And I'm like, yeah, they, they both did make a lot of early appearances in, in Full Moon films. And then, you know, when the Paramount era fizzled, uh, they just both never appeared in any Full Moon again. So it's just sad. I would love to see a return of them. I'll have to watch that re- uh, reanimated reunion. Yeah, I think Bar- Barbara and his last official appearance were in Castle Freak for Full Moon. So. And what an appearance that was. That was one of the, the finer uh, Full Moon movies. We haven't covered that yet, but we will. But sadly, that was 27 years ago. feel old yet. Uh, I wasn't feeling too old today, but now that you mentioned it, now I do. Since we're talking about being 27 years ago and our receding hairlines, I feel really old. Thanks. <laughs> ready, ready to send your consciousness down the line into your daughter yet? <laughs> Oh God, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I want to handle time traveling. It's just kind of like McNulty said. If I if I time travel back into my uh, my daughter's body, I'm just going to have every guy in the world trying to get my pants and I'm be fighting them off every step of the way. I don't know if I want to do that. I'll just handle. I'll just handle being fat and old. It's fine. I love how he he immediately correlates being a teenage girl to like every guy trying to fuck him. Well, he's probably not half <laughs> wrong. It's kind of like it reminded, it reminded me of like that old school mentality of like straight guys always think that every thinking that every gay man wants to fuck them. And it's like it didn't really work that way, but <laughs> glad you think that everyone would want to fuck you. <laughs> like, right. like, like, do you? Re- yeah, I, I just thought it was very funny that he thought that, you know, it's like, oh, man, teenage girl, everyone's going to be trying to get in my pants. It's like, uh, not really. <laughs> so... You're not really going to be hanging out with the kind of people that are going to want to try and get in your pants. Thank right, you. right. God, it's never played in that fashion. So, because then. Yeah, it's, it's an offhanded joke, you know, and it's yeah. just kind of done with at that point, but it's still. <laughs> that's exactly where McNulty's mind goes. It'd be very creepy, but thankfully, they, as like a teenage McNulty, they literally just kind of treat her and interact with her like she's a, like she's a, a kid. So, which is good. So. Well, like they even have the point where she's smoking a cigar and checks says something to her, and he's like, "As long as you're here, McNulty, if you're going to be in a woman's body, try to act like a lady." And it's just like, oh, <laughs> like yeah. they really had to go there. Yeah. <laughs> but it was the '90s. What do you expect? I mean, you know. Oh, uh, let's see what happens next. We get the obligatory thing that happens in every action movie. What happens? The main character's wife, well, at least one of them. Gets kidnapped. Because, <laughs> of course, she would be, right? Yeah, she would get, get kidnapped, you know? I mean, otherwise, you know, what would happen with the third act? But, but oh, poor rabbit. That's my next note here. But poor rabbit. Uh, you know, they, they get him. They're, they, he's been demoted from an orderly to an inmate. And he tries to make a break for it when they're going to give him that zombie drug. It's going to turn me into one of those zombies. <laughs> but they infiltrate the, you know, Jack and Alice show up. They infiltrate the part. And Jack is pretty quick on his feet and pretty slick at infiltrating the place. Alice, on the other hand, really not. Like, she's, <laughs> I mean, 
again, I'm not trying to pick on Megan Ward at all, but I think it just shows, you know, her being as young as she was and probably not being as seasoned of an actress. She just really does not, <laughs> you know, and I feel like she's ha- ha- handle action. Well, yeah, I feel like too, though, you got to consider that she's supposed to literally be like comparably not, I don't think much older than teen McNulty truthfully. You know what I mean? I think Jack's wife would obviously be a, a bit more of a mature woman. So she's in the body of a fairly young, probably slightly more immature person. I could be reaching though, but. Right, right. I mean, uh, I, I don't know how old she was at the time when she played the role. I was imagining she would probably be in her 20s, but I know they say she's supposed to be a teenager, which just makes things weird. But it, it was the 90s again, you know, what do you what do you expect? If you if you don't get weird stuff in the 90s, you're, are you really watching a 90s movie? It's true. <laughs> but uh, another uh, observation I made here. Jack sure changed his clothes when he took out the one guard rather quickly, didn't he? <laughs> he was he practically undid the top two buttons on that guard that he knocked out with one punch because, you know, that's what Jack does, and knock people out with one punch. But, like, ten seconds passed between the shot of him doing that and Alice running up to him. By then, he's already got the guy's pants off, he's got his shirt off, and, and he, he's fully dressed up all within the, like, the manner of ten seconds, so... Movie magic. <laughs> it's a man of action. Oh, yeah. this That's why Jack's a stud. <laughs> and, and miracle of editing. So. Miracle of editing, yeah. <laughs> but I love how they infiltrate the place. You know, they happen to come in just at the time where uh, Rabbit's going to make his escape. Jack shows up with the kind of, you know, as the fake security guard with uh, Alice in tow. And they make their escape. They blow away a few more transfers, and then they set fire to all the the Scourge seventy eight plants, which he sets on fire by he sprays them down with something from a you know a Hudson sprayer, which we're just led to believe is flammable. But he sets it on fire by shooting it because, you, as we all know, movie logic you only need to sh- set shit on fire is just by shooting it. Yeah, I mean that usually starts like sparks and fire, right? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, you know, still, movie logic. If, if if we adhered to real-life logic, there would be no movie. So, you know. It'd be way less exciting to watch. So It's like we often say on the show, you know, if people made smart decisions in these movies, the movies would, A, be a lot slower and be over a lot quicker and a lot less interesting. Yeah, they'd all be short films. So, yeah. yeah. To be like, don't go in that house. Okay, I won't. End of movie, three minutes long. Amityville Horror, <laughs> shortest movie ever. It's like, get out. Okay, I'm packing my bags. <laughs> it's like the old Eddie Murphy joke. Get out. Too bad we can't stay, baby. I think we're gone. <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, common sense. <laughs> like, right. You can't have common sense in movies. Otherwise, the it, it severely affects the runtime. So Right. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, I guess it's good. Common sense would be good if you wanted to watch a uh, a short film. Exactly. But uh, everything kind of culminates here at the end when they're held up in the barn. And Jack's escape plan for as, as good of a character he is, is extremely questionable to send that little, you know, tractor through the walls while they're surrounded by about 100 trancers and Wardo and everybody. 
But, you know, Allison, Lena, and, and Jack come out all guns blazing, and they blow everybody away. And I love the fact that Jack takes Wardo out with a fucking pitchfork. Yeah, I love that they come out and they have like almost three or four angles of them shooting down the first row of transers. And then Pyle gets shot very like, I don't know, he seems like such a he just looks like such a punk when he gets shot. And then Jack just like randomly in classic transers fashion, just randomly takes out the bad guy in the most quick and random way humanly possible. By just ra- tossing a random pitchfork straight through his chest. Yeah, and and I I mean I like it, but it just seems very odd. But then again, I mean, look how they took out uh, Whistler in part one. That was also very odd. It's just very anticlimactic feeling because it's just like boom, okay, he's dead. Yep. Yep. I'm like okay, <laughs> like that was that was very random, but I'll take it, I guess. So. But very bloody. I, I love how uh, Richard Lynch coughs up that big ball of blood at the end. Yeah, he has it's, a huge mouthful that comes splattering out, which is pretty great. And even the blood squids in this are pretty are pretty gruesome and pretty bloody. You know, I have to say, you know, it's not usually the motif of full moon movies to like this to be overtly bloody, but this one uh, it checks off that box pretty well. And this is kind of like almost this will be a weird comparison. Like, you know, I love Scream, but, you know, if you're like a slasher fan, Scream is probably not your cup of tea for multiple reasons. But it's a flat series in that everyone's mostly just stabbings and gunshots. And this is the probably the most gunshot, gunshotty death full moon movie in the entire library where there's just so many. Just like bang, bang, like fatal gunshots. With the exception of probably part three, I want to imagine part three, if we really counted, it probably has a few more, but it's kind of done more in a Walter Hill, John Woo slow motion kind of way, as opposed to the heavy blood bags that they used in this movie. Because guns are, yeah, guns are, I guess, guns exemplify though to what we know as not being something that full moon is fond of and that's people on people violence so but uh transers aren't really people they're they're what are they they are future future alien zombies future yeah what was the phrase future, yeah that was the phrase uh, yeah, future futuristic alien zombies, alien zombies. It's literally on IMDb says future alien zombies. It should say futuristic. <laughs> You're correct there. They're not aliens. They're not aliens. No, no. The transfers don't become aliens until part six. Uh, because it's yeah. it's got to do with a meteor, right? So if you say so. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I pushed that movie very far out of my memory bank the idea of what a trancer is definitely evolves with each film to a degree and one and two they're still fairly mind control zombie type people and three they're like a military experiments and then so like part, super soldiers in part three yeah, yeah they're like evil Captain Americas basically and then in part four and five they're like supernatural like vampire type zombies that like suck your energy dry and then in person they're like they're like mind controlled by like an alien force 
So it's like the, the idea for what a transfer is really just depends on what suits the, the plot best, I guess. So, or which uh, gallery of villain decides like what, what a transfer is for that for that specific installment. So. Yeah, because they, they have to cater to the villain. They, you know, whatever the villain is, then they're going to uh, determine what kind of transfers we're going to get. I always kind of saw them as mind-controlled zombies. Even in part three, they're still kind of mind-controlled zombies, but they're more or less super soldiers they're, now. Yeah, they're sort of, sort of military-controlled. And, I, and I, have to, I have to make a point here. So, Wardo... Uh, there's the confusion in the beginning when you know McNulty's like, when did when did Whistler get a brother? They would have had to known that Whistler had a brother, though, right? Because there are moments they talk about like, oh well, how did how did Wardo get the the scurb there? And they're like, oh, seeds must have been smuggled down the line. So, and then he talks about, I want to say, going back. Wardo talks about going up the line, like he's planning on maybe going forward again so he had to have come down the line himself correct right he would have had to so it makes you wonder like did they how did they how are they not aware of his or i mean i guess obviously rains knew but like how was the overall outfit not aware of his existence and the fact that he had breached the line went down with some of the scurb seeds and all that. Yeah, you know, like just, Rains yeah. no, knows, but the council didn't know, and like yeah, McNulty that, didn't know. A lot of that stuff just didn't seem uh, logical plot-wise to me. I guess I'm looking for explanations where there really just aren't any. <laughs> right. Uh, we're trying to make sense of the senseless, man. But, you know, it doesn't make it any less fun. No, true. Speaking of fun, one thing that is not fun is at the end when Jack lays some heavy shit on Alice before he sends her in the TCL ch chamber to go up the line, back up the line. Uh, like he tells her, like, listen, you're going to go back up. You know, you're, they were going to send you back up. You're going to die a day later. That's, you know, and I'm not going with you. I'm sending you up alone. But if you stay in this body, you know, you, you can, uh, you know, shatter those plans that they ha they have for sending we're sending you back into your own time timeline, but it's some heavy shit. The you know with what they said they had three minutes to go before, yeah, you know, the TCL chamber was going to go. But that's some heavy shit and some and, dark shit to fucking uh, send her back with. And McNulty says, "Oh, I need to go up first to explain," but you don't see her go up. Or I guess it's just kind of a consciousness thing where she's just going to bounce bounce back. I guess, but um. When he tells Alice that, he says some – doesn't he say something to the effect of, oh, there's only room for, like, her to fit in it? Doesn't he say something like that? Yeah. Because, well, because the door to the other part of the chamber was busted off, so he wouldn't have been able to go back up with her anyway, right? Yeah, because originally the plan was to force Jack and Mordo back up the line. Correct. Right, right, yeah, because they, so, they actually say that well, – McNulty says the line, or I think it's McNulty's, that you can't, you know – to do a mind uh, sweep on somebody who's dead, Jack. So, you know, yep. there's no use in now that Wardo's dead of taking him back up the line and, you know, and sweeping his memory. So, yeah, yeah. If he had went down the line, why couldn't they just 
recall his consciousness back up the line like they would McNulty. Wasn't it because um, they would have to have a body in current future time up there awaiting return somewhere on a slab, wouldn't he? If he came down the line, he's in a descendant's body. That's oh. not Ordo. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I get, I get, I get what you mean now. Yeah, that, that, yeah, it doesn't make sense. That would be displacing someone who's in the incorrect body, like how he tells Alice, "When you go up, you know." They'll have to accept you as is because you're going to be in that body now. Right, and right. That's, they can't, so. that's why Jack couldn't go back anyway. And they couldn't just uh, send him in his mind back because his body, it, what had happened to it, it calcified, I think, is it? Or it had been on yeah. ice, quote unquote, too long? Yeah, yeah, it had been inanimate for too long. And it was basically, I, I, don't, I don't know what calcified is supposed to necessarily represent, but it's basically, I, I would assume, just not habitable anymore it's still like there and you know intact but it's just not in a livable condition anymore but i would assume that wardo would have to have a body in suspended animation up there somewhere if he went down the line so i'm like i guess would they just have to bring him up that way because he went down the line in some kind of rogue fashion and they don't know where his body is to be able to bounce him back. Ah, yeah, maybe that's it. See, the moments like this are why these discussions are important. <laughs> you start to overly kind of pick apart. <laughs> if you look at things in a different light because that, yeah, he would they would be taking him back up the line in the incorrect body. Yeah. So thereby basically usurping that descendant's entire life from them. Yeah, but would the council really care? Because as we'd find out with future installments, they're pretty uh, unscrupulous people. Yeah, because, you know. because definitely after this one, protecting Hap is like not even a plot line anymore. So, like, yeah, they just kind of write Hap out of the story at this yeah, point. Hap is just like old news come part three. So, this is it is a note that this is the last official, you know, time the whole gang gets back together again, or even partially the gang to a degree. So, yeah, which is sad because I love the Hap character. He's fun, but you know, yeah. old Beth Maynard. I love see, having him around, but you know, it is what it is. Yeah. But uh, you know, we kind of end on a happily ever after no note with a, you know. Jack and Lena getting their house as they were talking about, you know, uh, Lena was, was wanting to get a house and start a family. So they get a house and, and Biff will Hap is telling the, the realtor. He's like, he's a fortune teller. Cause they asked, what does he do for a living? Like he's a fortune teller. Yeah. And it kind of ends as I put happily ever after with a question mark. Nope. Not for anybody in this movie. It, it's definitely the one that ends. I feel like on the most upbeat moment too, though, where it's like, everything is, like I said, like we said before, Jack has the most like positivity and love in his life in this one, because he, he ends on a really upbeat note where life life is good, you know. Yeah. Which he he he's been through a lot of fucked stuff. I mean, we can only imagine because it's one of those things like, you know, if this were a handful of years back, before, like 
it reminds me of like how they would talk about the Clone Wars in Star Wars. Oh, the Clone War, the Clone War. You, know, you have to imagine what happened during that. But then I think they did the Clone Wars TV show or whatever. Yeah, the show. cartoon. Yeah. But it's, yeah. You have to imagine that. You know what I mean? Because even the movie that was Attack of the Clones didn't, I think that one led up to the point and then it didn't show so like with with transfers you hear about the great transfer war but you never see the great transfer war but you can imagine it was a bad you know a really bad time and you know a lot of jack saw a lot of death you know obviously he said you know alice died in his arms i know that's the sad moment when he's just like you know you died in my arms and he's like we won't be together but at least you won't die in my arms which is a touching moment between jack and alice there's he's he has lived a lot of life and i think he earns the ending at, at, at the end of this one you know what i mean where he Like he's gonna have a good life. We know that he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, no, right, right. Yeah, it's not yeah. how it goes. But at least that's the, yeah. the the that's the facade that they project here at the end of part two. Yeah, no pun intended. But down the line, things get shitty again. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. But um, it, I think he, he as a character, he does earn the ending. And this one, it's because you know he's happy. So him and Lena yeah. are happy. They don't have anything that's disrupting their their good life that they've fought hard for twice, basically. So, right. you know, it's it's they a very fought very, and killed transfers. Uh, yeah, it's a very not common ending for one of these movies, but it's it's an ending that feels like he's earned it. Definitely. So. Yeah, yeah, Jackson earned it. His happy ending, and like I said, it would be short-lived because he would be a little bit down and out and a little more grizzled in part three, but part three is a little bit more dark and a little bleak, but I think that's also why I love it so much. Three is definitely, I think, the grittiest. This one is the more glossy one, I think, and then four or three is the, the grittier one, and then four and five are just like the more sort of like fantastical ones, if that makes sense. And they, they play more like a uh, like fantasy movies as opposed to sci-fi action films. There's not, yeah. There's like there's monsters and <laughs> and and vampires. So like monsters and vampires and transers. Oh my! <laughs> why is but, one putting it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that being said. We are at the tail end of our film. We end off with Jack Death on a, on a rare happy note. We would get Transfers 3 a little less than a year later in, in 92. Transfers 3, Death Lives, which we will cover here eventually. We're going to save that for another day because that is, that's a big film. That's that's a big, big film for, for the Full Moon uh, universe, uh, for, for you and I both, I think. But uh, that being said, you know how things go around here. We give our final thoughts. Rating on a scale from 1 to 10, and guests go first. Yeah, you know, uh, I think there's a reason why when Empire folded that, you know, this was the the primary brand that Full Moon kept rights, sequel rights to. Because um, the first one it is such a, a rich concept. And this one proved that, you know, there was still 
gold in them our hills because this is a <laughs> this is a fun movie. It is a really fun movie. Uh, it's got an amazing cast. It's got probably one of the most stacked casts Full Moon has ever had. And yes, entire, the star fucking studded here. Their entire like thirty five ish years of existence. This is probably the most stacked cast Full Moon has ever had. Um, and they're and they're all like legit like pros. Um, Thomerson is always great. Hunt is great. You know I am a huge Megan Ward fan. <laughs> like uh, our villains are all great, man. I you know Richard Lynch is kind of a mixed bag depending on the film, but uh, I know he did well enough in this that when it came time for Puppet Master three. You know, and they were looking to try and get someone a bit more, uh, no offense to Lynch, uh, someone with a bit more of a historical class to them, you know, like a like an old school star for right, the lead, right. Nazi villain in that one. But Lynch had done so well on this one that he was like, you know, just use Lynch. He'll, he'll knock it out of the park. And truthfully, I mean, he did. Uh, I, but I think that Lynch's villain in Puppet Master 3 is far more effective than Wardo. Wardo is a very weird villain to me. The idea of having the villains be like, like, uh, I don't know, like ecological, <laughs> Types. Yeah, there was that weird. Uh, you're, you deserve to live in a cl- yeah. in a green world. Yeah, like these weird eco warrior kind of things. It's kind of comparable to you know the identities of the new screams villains being exposed, and you're like, oh, it's those types of people. <laughs> I won't say it unless people haven't seen the new scream, but like, you know, you're like, oh, okay, so they're like environmentalists are the villains in this one. Okay. You know, not necessarily the most threatening type of people, but it's good that they have such top tier people like him and Martin Beswick and Jeffrey Combs because they they bring a, a, a definite level of ability to the villains, which I think otherwise wouldn't really feel that threatening being eco warrior types. But um <laughs> You know, it's definitely relevant to in the bigger scope of things, like we said, because Rabbit makes his first appearance. So, uh, poor Rabbit, poor Rabbit. Yeah, and and you know, like I said, I think it's it's definitely looking looking back at it and in this discussion, kind of realizing that I do I do think Jack has some of his best, you know, moments with with his people. You know, you get like I said, this you get the whole cast. The whole gang's back, you know, and you didn't even get the whole gang in 1.5 because we didn't get half, but we get the whole gang in this one. And and there's a reason for them to be here. And you do really get the sense that, you know, watching it and imagining what the set probably was like, it, it really was like getting the whole getting the gang back together again. You know, yeah. you, you get a real sense of just like genuine fun and camaraderie and you can just tell that everyone had a blast making this movie like i said before though you know it, it didn't really ages gracefully for me but that's not saying that i think it's a worse movie than i used to think it was because i don't think it I don't... 
really fun movie to watch, truthfully. It's just, it's not Transfers 1, and it's definitely not Transfers 3. That's its main fault. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, that's, his own, that, that, that's his, probably his biggest fault right there. And, and, you know, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, that, and we'll, we'll pretend like there's two, two Transfers trilogies, not per se overly counting 1.5. In the tr- first trilogy of Transfers films, it's the middle one is the one that's kind of the lackluster one. And I think with a lot of trilogies, in my opinion, it's usually the middle one that I find the least appealing. I'd agree. Any trilogy, I'll I'll go big trilogies. Like I like the two towers the least for Lord of the Rings. I disliked when it was, when it was a trilogy, I disliked the second pirates of the Caribbean movie the least. I'll say it. I dislike evil dead two more than one and three because i feel like middle installments are kind of just like the bridge to something better usually okay i I follow yeah that's not necessarily the case with when say subspecies was a trilogy because <laughs> I think yeah, because I I still feel Part Two is the best of those movies. It was the weird case of the first sequel actually being the masterpiece as opposed to what preceded it, and yeah, it just it's better than what came before it or after it. But uh, I, it's not to say that I think Transfers Two is a bad film though, because it's definitely entertaining. It's never boring. It's super fun. It's got a lot of hilarious one-liners. <laughs> funny setups like and like i said you know oh the one-liners are to die for aren't they yeah and it's like i said it's just it's like it's like having a reunion with a bunch of old friends you hadn't seen in a long time because it's always fun to go back and visit with death and lena and alice and hap and mcnulty and rain it rains you know they're all fun characters so and it and it definitely set a precedent because we got numerous more films after this for better or worse. So <laughs> it was proof that if anything, that the the brand and Thomerson as a leading heavy work, whether the films all work or not, transfers was something that sells or sold, and Thomerson is was is and will be for eternity a boss i've called him that before but he is there's no there's no other way to put it he's a boss and he is dope as fuck in this movie oh yeah (laughs) it's just i don't think it's you know it's just not one or three uh i would give this movie a 7.5 well i think this might be one of the few times that i'm coming in higher than you uh yeah i'm i'm i i'm coming in at an eight i was gonna say because i'm usually a bit more lenient with my (laughs) with my and you usually don't do half points so the fact that you came in at a 7.5 says something (laughs) and you know i i feel like i've justified this on a previous episode but i'll say it again that with something that's gonna have so many installments you gotta kind of break them up sometimes because you can't have, I mean, you can, but I don't want to have two or three sevens or something like that. You know what I mean? So it's like you got to get almost a bit more uh, critical. <laughs> so yeah. I feel like that. I did, it's, yeah, it's a 7.5 for me right now. 
you know, if you'd asked me back in like '92, I'd have probably, I'd have probably given this like a nine. Oh but, yeah, yeah, me too. Hell, I might have even given it a ten back in '91. Not to say that I think it's a, it's you know, not deserving of a nine though. I just, like I said, I just, it just comes down to the fact that one and three are better films, but you know. Yeah, uh, I agree with a lot of what you said. Uh, it, it did feel like they were getting the gang back together and it would be like the only time that we would really have you know lena and alice and jack and hap and and mcnulty reigns everybody together again and it's it's a fun film and you know again like transfers three not a good film but not a fun film you know what i mean it's, it's darker it's grittier it's more bleak but i love this movie for, i mean it's it's fucking trancers, man. And it's Jack Death, as we've said here. We, you know, we've called Jack Death everything from a, a, a boss to a stud to the man. He's a king. He's he's just great. He's a great character. Tim Thomerson is it's just a consummate professional in everything he does. And uh, I love the man as an actor. He's a, he's a great actor, not just when he's playing Jack Death, but I mean, all the time. You know, not just full moon movies, but. He, each time, every time. But everybody is really great in this. Uh, I think Alison Croft gave her best performance as McNulty in this one. And Art Le, uh, Art Lafleur, you know, God rest his soul. He was great in this, and we got a little bit more of him this time around. And, you know, Thelma Hawkins, uh, you know, even though her and uh, Martin Beswick and Jeffrey Combs, I think that's probably why I couldn't give it an eight and a half or a nine, is just that they're such great characters and great character actors they just felt underutilized yeah. and again this is also a problem i had uh, just a slight slight problem i mean i'm holding my hand my fingers about a quarter of an inch apart here if you could see them it's just the ending feels like it was just wrapped up a little too quickly you know yeah. i think it's something we talked about on the the when we did the first transfer show it just it feels like it was just all wrapped up in a neat little bow like a little quick little too quickly but it's a great sequel, and uh, as you've already said, you know the the biggest sin that this movie commits, other than underutilizing some of the the supporting cast, is that the biggest sin that it commits is that it's not part one or part three. Yeah, and that's really it. You know, and and it's still a great chapter. I think the original trilogy, these first three, and even if you count uh, Transfers one point five. You know, which yeah. I do. You know, I, I count that like is within the trilogy, if that makes sense. It they're all pretty stellar, you know, and they're all yeah, all you, pretty you, good. You could truthfully almost look at one, one point five, and two as the trilogy, and then three, four, and five as the second trilogy. Truthfully, yeah, right, right, yeah, you're right. And then six is just like the odd duck. I'm gonna say six is the the, the bastard redheaded stepchild <laughs> the family, the one that got We're locked back. in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm glad we, I'm glad we picked this one. I know we had, uh you know we we did a couple more obscure ones here the last couple of the shows that we put out with Deathbed and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But uh, I thought it was high time that we did one of the big heavy hitters. And uh, yeah. uh, I never um, I go ahead. I was just gonna say, yeah, always good to go back to like you know, the the brand names, you know, for the the building blocks of Full Moon, you know, and the Transfers is definitely, you know, Transfers is pre Full Moon, so this is like like as as building block of Full Moon as it gets, 
you know, almost more so than Puppet Master. Yeah, I mean, they always say, you know, Puppet or uh, Full Moon is a house that Puppet or Puppet Master is a house that Full Moon built, but I kind of disagree. And you know, like, people can say that, and I know that they're known for Puppet Master, but really, I mean, Transfers is what the only series that carried over from the Empire days. So yep. that says something that that was the one commodity that they held their, you know, they sunk their claws in and held onto. And I'm glad we revisited this one because while, although I never, you know, need a reason to revisit uh, Jack Death and revisit Transfers, I, 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 I never complain about having one. Totally. I never com- yeah. Like I'll watch a Transfers movie any day of the week. I never need, I never need to, but you know, so Lord knows good, I want to. It's a good day to though, and and truthfully, you know, like, like I said, Transfers Two might not be a perfect movie, but that's not to say that there isn't a lot of value that can be found in Transfers Two. And and you know, I like to always tip tip a hat to. There's, you know, we're looking at 35 years of Full Moon at this point, practically, and there's a lot of people in this movie that you know were consummate, you know, Full Moon fixtures. And stuff that just aren't with us anymore, like obviously Richard Lynch and R. LaFleur recently passed. And yeah, he just passed away within the last couple of months. He did. And um, I mean, even Richard's son was in the film. I know in, in some of Richard's last few years, a lot of the films that he was doing, he was trying to raise. He was basically doing work, any work that came his way because he was making money to take care of his son who was dying oh uh, I, see yeah, i didn't i did not know that yeah so i mean that's why a lot of later work of lynch's might not have been as glossy or polished you know and he appeared in a lot of not necessarily you know great films but you know he he was doing it to get money to take care of his son so um, I believe his son died while he was on set working on a movie that the asylum put out. So, oh, I hate to hear that. I mean, you know, his you know his son is gone, and even uh, we didn't mention him, but you know, the one of the main winos in the in the baseball game uh, was played by John Chandler, who had made appearances in Crash and Burn previous to this. He was even in uh, Phantasm Three. Uh, he's oh that's right yeah yeah he was the guy with a little like that little pencil thin mustache i remember him from phantasm yeah. three yeah yeah he's been long long gone as well I mean, uh, charlie's father uh, albert band too you know albert. so a lot of a lot of a lot of good people captured in this movie so yeah like i said i never need a reason to uh to have to watch transfers but i always have one because it's it's there and i want to there's never a day where you ask me do you want to watch one of the transfers movies the answer is always going to be yes as long as there's not a six in the title you say you're <laughs> well yeah I, but <laughs> i don't count that one i just don't count it <laughs> are you trying to say there isn't life after death oh <laughs> I see what you did there, sir. Good one. You know, that was that was the original subject. No, there. Oh, really? <laughs> that transfer. I think I knew that. I do think I I do I do think I, I knew that. I think it was too on the nose for what they were doing, and they they dropped it. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> it kind of uh, basically like, yeah, you're getting death, but you're not getting death. <laughs> so, you're getting death, but you're not getting the death. <laughs> getting death, but it's going to be in the package of like a five foot two uh, first time actress. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. One day we'll one day we'll have to cover it. I know we'll have to cover it, but as long as there are no, there's probably any other full moon movie that or Empire Pictures film that we haven't covered, uh, I'll hold out. I'll hold out on that one. I believe. Uh, <laughs> but that being said, uh, I want to thank you, Dustin, for joining me again. These are always fun shows to do with you, man. I I appreciate you taking a couple hours out of your your late uh, Monday evenings to do these with me. Definitely. All righty, folks, we'll bid you a fond farewell for now. You've been listening to Cinema Degenerations Howling at the Full Moon, and we have been covering the boss, Jack Death, in Trancers 2 from 1991. Thanks for joining us. Now pass me the mustard. Ladies, please. You know what you better do, Jack? You better decide which one of us you want to be your wife, because I'm not the sharing type. Yeah, neither am I. Good work, Jack. Now you got them both mad at you. (laughs) God damn it, McNulty. The next time someone hands you an exploding ham, I'm going to pass the mustard.